What, what a great honor, but great trepidation as well. And so the question I would ask, you see that, you hear that, it's hard for you to identify with that, right? And I would ask, uh, what would happen if God was to come down here? Will we tremble the same? Do you and I have the fear of God? Do we have, do we have that kind of reverence? You know, I mean, I, just to digress briefly, I, you know, I'm a big Cavs fan. We won the championship. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And, um, yeah, I knew y'all would hate, but, you know, that's all right. Enjoy. Hey, my boy, doing a bank here back there. But, um, but here's the thing. You know what made me sad? I, I hear, I hear Le, you know, and I, I don't know the brother, but LeBron, just the sense of the way we talk about God sometimes. He's always talking about the man upstairs. And uh, that's how he's always, and I'm just thinking, like, LeBron, you're very wealthy. Like, why do you have a two-family house? And who lives upstairs from you, dude? Like, I don't, I don't under, you keep talking about this man upstairs, this very cavalier approach to the king of kings, right? And I ask myself, like, well, don't we talk like that too? Aren't we just very cavalier about our heart for God? I mean, this is something I want to pause because I'm proposing that this is not just about the unbeliever being cavalier and kind of having an irreverential framework or posture toward God. But, man, I, I propose myself and that the people of God, we've, we've, we have to recover this sense of reverence, of awe to Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to paint a picture because so, I feel like this issue of fear is a very uh, pervasive and important topic. So I want to pause for a quick moment and share with you some thoughts that hopefully are encouraging to understanding the proper framework of fear. All right, there is um, two, and, and give me some grace here, there's kind of two frames that I want, to, I want to pause on when you're thinking of fear. I want us to leave here and understand finally, here's a fear. You hear that a lot in the Bible, fear of God, and some of us, we try to camp out on like, well, I don't need to fear God because of Jesus, but I want to I wanna push back on some of that, and I want to hopefully recover a healthy, holistic perspective. First, you have, when you talk about the frames of fear, you have reverence. Okay, this is the proper sense of awe, respect, and wonder that is inspired, I don't know if that's up there, yeah, uh, and demanded by an encounter with or meditation upon the character and activity of the living God. So it's like reverential fear. Uh, so you see here, Says, so we have, this is in 1 John 4, 16 to 18, so we have come to know and believe uh, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love, perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Circle the word perfected, very important to understand this passage. Because as he is also, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect, see the word again, circle perfect, love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See that? Perfected. Three times. I want to propose to you, whenever you're reading a Bible passage and words keep popping up over and over again, they're important. It, it behooves you and me to not do research and understand why the word is, not, is there, okay? So the word perfect. So you have the sense of, of reverence. That's reverence. I think we all are cool with that. We agree with the sense of like, oh, being motivated by love. And I want to propose reverential fear is rooted in your love for God. Okay, so the, the root there is like you love God, and so now you kind of love and respect him, and you don't want to please him. But then there's kind of like the or what's common fear, or I would say servile fear. Okay, that's more of a theological term. Servile fear is uh, in, fear is emotional foreboding or dread of impending distress or misfortune. Okay, so this kind of fear is kind of motivated actually with a slave mentality. It's a mentality of like, something's going to happen to me if dot, dot, dot. Okay? 
So those are two, I would say, your two major workings of, of fear or reverence when you're thinking about walking and being a, a believer or just even in life. Uh, now, servile fear, don't miss this, is rooted in punishment. Okay? It's rooted in punishment. And so you see here things like Matthew 10, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then there's a ton of other, other scriptures uh, that, that show and demonstrate Jesus himself and apostles appealing to this kind of fear to motivate belief and obedience. Now, you don't, you don't miss that, did you? So, so I want to propose what we're seeing here is we're seeing two kinds of fear, reverential and servile fear. We're seeing one show itself. We saw in 1 first, in first John chapter 4, it says that this fear is kind of, uh, this reverential is perfected in love, right? Perfected mean mature. Mature is made mature, okay? So I want to propose that we see that there's this gradation, that there's this, when you become a Christian or you start pursuing God or even in life, you know, even think the way we retell the story of the gospel, even in our parental framework, right? When, you're, when, you're, when you have a baby uh, in the beginning, you know, your baby's going to do something to hurt you, Tiffany, or to hurt themselves. You don't appeal to them on loyalty and, hey, do you know how much I love you? You know, Ethan, it hurts me more than it hurts you if you touch the iron. You know, no, no. You don't do that when, you're, when, you, when, you're ba- when your kid's a baby. You say, I'm daddy, I'm mommy, I'm the authority, you need to obey me. Do not do this or you will get in trouble. Is that, am I, is that fair? Okay? So, so if at anything, pragmatically, we see demonst- we demonstrate this. Okay? The servile fear. And we see Jesus and apostles saying that that's a, that's a motivation that he uses. But he also admits, as we do the whole counsel of God, and we see in the first John chapter 4, that that's not the end goal. The end goal is, isn't for you and I to always live in servile fear. I want to propose that there is a track that he wants us on, and that is eventually he wants us to move from servile fear to where we understand, if I touch the mountain, I'm going to die. And so, you know what? I don't even know if I love God, but I ain't touching that mountain. See what I'm saying? And, he, and, you, and guess what? God's cool with that initially. He's cool for you to come to Jesus because you do not want to spend eternity in hell. But eventually, when you see the goodness and the character of God and what he's done for you, and you see what he's doing in the world and how he's changing lives and how the, he's created all of this for, our, for our, our delight and for us to be obedient to him is actually the best thing for us Something has to click and something begins to change as the Holy Spirit works in you and you move from survival to a reverential fear. Where now you're saying, it's not that I'm scared of you, it's that you love me. And because you love me and you have what's best for me and I respect you so much because of your character and how you've been faithful and how you've been kind and how you've been merciful and how you've been gracious, I want to obey you. Now, here is the challenge for us as, 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 as New Testament believers, is we get arrogant because now we have a clue of reverential fear, and so we think servile fear has no place. That's a lie. I want to propose to you, it seems the balance is to understand that there's always servile fear where God can and, and, and can destroy you. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that we don't say he can't. The beauty of the gospel is that he's still awesome and big and gigantic. 
and powerful, and he can do whatever he wants with me anytime, and yet that's not poured out on me, it's poured out on Jesus. And so now I get to sit, and, and, and John Piper had a good word. He was talking about his son, how he was going into a, 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 someone's house, and he had this huge dog. The dog was bigger than their son. And, man, you know, we, everything was cool, but the dog wanted to play. So the dog saw the boy. The boy was walking away. The dog started running toward the boy. All right? Now, sometimes dogs growl when they're playing, right? But growl at a two-year-old boy. The two-year-old boy started crying, running, thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm about to get eaten alive. The dog comes up to him and plays with him and grabs him, and he realizes something. And, he, and John Piper says, man, it was a beautiful moment where I got to see the awesomeness even of God. Is that here you go, you have a, a, a dog that has the, 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 the slothy mouth and, want, and, could, and could bite and could hurt this kid, but the dog is actually moving toward the kid, and he was reserving all that for protection for the kid. And he wants to play and be with the kid. It's the same way. It's that, it's that God's fangs, he doesn't lose them. Is that now they're here to protect us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Do you hear me? Now, so when you look at this text here, I want to propose to us that sadly what we do is we go through our life and we kind of try to discount, uh, if you discount too early servile fear, what you miss is you miss that contemplation of how messed up you are, how evil you are, how, how jacked up you are. If you just move directly to, oh, but God, look what God does for me. If you don't pause and say, wait a minute, but I deserve wrath. You start, to get, you start to build a messed up theology. And I'm proposing that's why Jesus doesn't say, well, no, we're never going to talk about that again. But he uses it. But eventually, you move into maturity. And so Jesus saw it very clear that both are very helpful for kingdom advancement. Does that make sense? Servile fear and reverential fear. And so as the people of God, I want to encourage you, you're doing a disservice. Whenever you try to be cool and tell people, no, 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 but no, it's, it's all about reverence. You know, I don't, I'm not to be scared of God. Well, well kind of. No, yeah, you are. You are to be. But Jesus. And so now I have a healthy perspective of his wrath poured out on the Savior on my behalf. I hope that makes sense. Uh, So I want to say, don't be too quick to solve the problem of fear with the gospel, family. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Can I say one quick thing? Philippians 2 uh, gives a beautiful picture of this. Um, it talks about uh, the, the, the presence of God, and, and you get to see the sheer presence of God. I don't know if I put it up here. Yes. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Uh, I love, I just love the beauty of that passage. I mean, think about it. He's telling them, he's saying the sheer presence of God in your life. Now hear that. The presence of God in your life working for you should produce trembling. The presence of God. Just to, 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 as you work it out, man, you're, you're a Christian, you love God, but man, there should be a sense of like, wow, God is doing a work in me, and I'm his. Right? So a holistic training, family, a holistic training of fear includes both frames. Um, and they move, and then Move towards repentance, obviously, but, but you must teach all. Um, so, lastly, I want to say, even as you see, um, 
Isaiah 11, 2. I don't know if I put this up here. Uh, the scriptures read, yeah. It says, uh, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Well, I, I just want to pause there and I just wanted to leave this up last because what this is showing, this is talking about Jesus himself, right? And it's talking about here, here's Jesus who died and it's saying that he actually delights in this in this this sense of reverential, awesome fear of God. And I just want to say that, that we can, we can, we, when we have the healthy perspective of, these, of this reality of reverence and fear, that actually what happens is we get to enjoy the majesty, the reverence, of, and not be, not be cowarded into, into like, oh, Lord, what are you going to do to me? But we get to actually enjoy the sweet peace that comes with being his children. But they both exist. That was a, that was a, a brief uh, commercial, or maybe not brief, because I wanted us to, to get a picture of healthy fear, Bible-centered, holistic fear. Verse 20 reads, that's the people. That's, that's what they're going through at that point. They're having this immature sense of, hey, he's going to kill me, and it's real. And then as time goes on, guys get to bless you. And to show if I can continue that analogy of the kid, you know, I think of Matthew and um, when I think of James, your boy, I mean, you know, I spank my kids, and, and uh, right now my kids can't whip me. You know what I'm saying? I'm bigger than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm crazier than them and all that stuff, you know? But, but you know, I'm watching them, and they're eating their broccoli and stuff, and they, you know, they're trying to get swollen. You know, one day, you know, I'm going to tell them to do, tell them, tell them to do something, or we're going to have a discussion and, and a prayer, just like the father is that we move from, you know, you're three years old, you're four years old, you're seven years old, and you're just doing it because you have a hopefully, hopefully you're moving toward reverential, but, but it's still like, hey, that dude's bigger than me. You know what I'm saying? But then at some point, the beauty of a parent is when a mom or dad can, can sit down with their adult son or daughter, have a discussion, and the, the, and the, and the son or daughter are keened in, not because of what you can do to them, because you can't. You're too old. You know what I'm saying? I'm 40 years old. I mean, again, they have me do one cartwheel and an alley-oop. And, I mean, this morning I got up and my legs was hurting. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's wrong with me? Right? Yeah, right? And, and, but, but isn't it a beautiful thing? Isn't it a beautiful thing, Tim, when, you're, when, you're, when your boy, when, when they listen to you because they honor you? you? I'm grown. I got to pay my own bills. I got my own kids. But, man, I want to hear what you have to say, Daddy. I want to hear what you have to say, Mommy. I want to please you. I want to know what you're thinking. You see, you see, even in life, we retell that story, those, those, those communicable things that God has allowed us to retell in our own lives, that I say, I have a picture of what happens with God, is that God is saying, as we grow, we start to go, oh, he loves me, He's my, he has my best for me. I look through history, I look through the Bible, I can believe him. So praise God for that. My prayer is that would happen in all of our lives, but, but most importantly, that as we serve Jesus, we would, we would live in that, that maturity, that perfect love. Verse 20 says, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Right? We're in verse 20. I love that. Just can I just get, I, I love the street component of it. I mean, you talk about street cred. Can you imagine? You see you, Moses, and your brother's like, hey, man, where you about to go? <laughs> I'm about to go talk to God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, what, what you going to do? Oh, you going fishing? Oh, I'm going to talk to God, you know. I mean, amazing street cred. Here's this guy. He gets to connect with, with God Almighty in the sanctuary, this meeting place with the Lord. And it says in verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord, 
to look and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. It's so, so bizarre to me that, that the Lord would, would, would say this, that he would, he would say, Moses, listen, tell them again, don't come on the mountain. And, then we're, and the priest thing is bizarre to me, too, because they haven't instituted priests yet. Right? You know that, right? They haven't instituted, they, they, yeah, we have a priest, but they haven't instituted the priest yet. But I wonder if this are just certain leaders and things of that sort. And, but it's a beautiful passage of, of God just saying, hey, this is how awesome I am. This is how other I am. And he's saying, hey, if they, if they slip up, they're going to die. God warns them again. I want to propose he warns them again because he's even showing here, and I think he uses the priest piece because he's trying to say, listen, that I am trying to teach you what, was, what basically is called foreshadowing, typology, I'm trying to teach you something very important right now that you're going to see for thousands of years. And then you New Testament Christians, us today, we should see this in worship. And we're going to see this revealed in Hebrews if you don't believe me. He said, I'm trying to teach you the reality that no one can bust their way into my presence. He says, not even the priest can come into my presence unless I make it clear they can come to my presence. I'm proposing that's why he uses the priest in kind of a prophetic moment. Because he's saying, don't, you need to understand that this is a foreshadowing of what God is showing us, our need for a mediator, our need for the gospel. And so it's probably three big things he's trying to show through this piece. First, you cannot just enter the presence of God. You cannot just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going. What are you talking about? Like, you, yeah, you touch this mountain, right? And so he's saying, no, no one, not even a priest. And then he's trying to make it really clear that, that, that you have to have a mediator, and that's what the beauty of Moses is. Moses was not, that's the, the beauty of what God is doing here. He's like, Moses isn't anybody special. He's trying to teach something for the special one. So that when you see what he's doing with this messed up dude who's broken and jacked up and has to bring animals and his whole crew have to bring animals to show that they are some sense eligible to be in God's presence, it, all, it only makes sense when you see this, the, the beautiful unspotted lamb of God coming to give himself for you and me. And a person has to be appointed by God, right? Moses couldn't just go, well, I think you cool. No, 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 no. God had to call the shots in the same way. No one come. And guys, this is huge. I hope we are loving Jesus, enjoying Christ. If you are still doing a religious thing or you still have fooled yourself and have the audacity to think you can be your own God and there's a way you're going to try to get your way into heaven, and it's foolish. It's foolish. And that's what this passage is trying to tell you and me is no one comes to God on his own terms. No one. No one. Verse 23, and Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to, the Mount, to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Right? And the, and the Lord said, this is verse 24, said to him, go down and come up, bring an Aaron with you. Let me just pause. I love that, that Moses is like, man, basically this whole context is Moses saying, I got to go back and tell them this and then come back to you. We already, we already had this conversation, Yahweh. They know that he's like, whatever, you need to go back and tell them because I'm telling you, I'm going to kill somebody. They come up to this mountain. <laughs> right? This is, he's like, no. You, Moses like, but God, I think we get it. Verse 24, and the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bring an Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them again. Man, so what does this mean? 
Look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, 18, verse 21 to 25. Write that down in your address book. Um, if you have Bibles, you need to point to that because actually, you know what Hebrews is, chapter 12? It's actually the retelling of the story. It's the fulfillment of the story. As we get to see Jesus bring up this story to really brag about his redemptive grace. And the scripture says in verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched. You hear that? We're talking about touching. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. Verse 19. And the son of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. You hear that? Voice of a trumpet. Why does he say that? Because, again, it confirms what I was saying. It wasn't just thought, right? Biblical context shows that was his voice. Verse 20. For they could not endure the order that was given if even a, ba- a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Remember we said that? Not just killing people. If your lamb gets out of your hand and runs up to a mountain, we're going to kill him. Right? That's what he's saying here. That's how, but here's the thing. I'm trying to help you and I see that, man, this was serious to God. Nothing touches the mountain when God's on it because he's the only holy one. Verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, verse 22, but you have come, you hear that? That's that mountain. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and innumerable angels in the festal gatherings, verse 23, and to the symbol of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous and made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than even the blood of Abel. See what he does there? He's saying, man, praise God that there is a discrepancy between the mountains. There's a difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Praise God that there's a Mount Zion. Is that he's trying to show you Mount Sinai to say, I am, I am fierce and terrible and holy and I will destroy you on your terms. You will experience great destruction, but I'm also merciful and gracious and kind and loving that what I want to do is I want to provide another mountain for all those who are willing to not do things on their terms, but to repent of their sins, experience forgiveness, and do things on God's terms, and that is to exalt God as the only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a mountain for you, a mountain of rest, a mountain of generosity, a mountain of comfort. And so then God says very plainly, here he's saying, guess what? We got a choice to make. Which mountain will you choose? Which mountain? Which mountain will you choose? As a first century Jew, now coming back here, how do we apply that? I propose there's two main movements, guys, and then we can go home. Awesomeness of God is God wants you and I to contemplate how awesome he is, that when he comes and he's in their presence, they tremble, and that there is danger in breaching God's holiness. And then how do you hear that? How will you apply that to your life on Monday? How will you apply that to your life when you're in school? How will you apply that in your life when you're at work? That this holy God is whom you serve. How do you apply that? That he's awesome. And, and here's the beauty. He's awesome, and he's not on this mountain that you can't touch. But because of Christ, he's awesome, and he's your daddy. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that that awesome, terrible God 
loves us, died for us, wants to comfort you, wants to lead you in a life that he's created for you and for his purposes and for you and for his glory, that he knows better than you, that this is all his world and he's grabbing you. Isn't that exciting to know that you're not just left doing your own thing, but man, if we would just believe and trust, that beautiful Savior has said, I want to wrap my arms around you. That's the beauty here is that that awesomeness can be known. He can be known. The response for you and me, the response for me, I'm like, Lord, pray that you would give me this recover a sense of reverence in my life toward the Savior. That I would have a mature sense of, man, Lord, your love for me motivates me to please you and honor you. That I would have gratitude. That one of the key aspects of worship is thankfulness. That I will see what God has done for me. And man, I would respond to him based on who he is and what he's done. And then finally, courage. If you are sitting and standing before that awesome God because you are safe in Christ right now, how can you be scared of anything else in life? How? He's the one that can destroy the soul. He's the one that could just, I mean, just right, boom, whole place gone, dead. He's the one that has the world in his hands. He controls every scenario. He's totally providential and sovereign over everyone and everything. And then he says, and I want to know you. How then can we get nervous on a phone bill? How can we get nervous about, man, man what is God going to do? Am I, I going to have a good career? Why, why do we go there? And I'm, I'm one of the first to do it too. Why do we go there with these human scenarios of anxiety when God says, that's why he says, don't be anxious, because I love you. I got your back. There should be a nuisance, not of arrogance, family, but of gospel confidence and courage for you to take any hill because God is your God. Any hill. It's to change our posture of how we do evangelism. It's to change your posture of how you read the Bible. It's to change your posture of how you love people. It's to change your posture of how you serve others. It's to change your posture of how you sacrificially give. If we really believe this, it should change every aspect of how you do life in Christ. So that's our prayer, is that as the people of God, we would recover that sense of, reverence and gratitude and courage and man we would if you're here and you're just kind of doing life in our community and we pray that you would just just man lock arms with us and just get into discipleship and let's enjoy each other let's learn from each other as we have visitors who are on mission here thank you and we pray that you would be encouraged here and that you would go out wherever you live man you would have that new sense of of reverence and passion for his glory but i don't want you to miss something here 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 you go okay so how do i how do i get that Eric, what does that mean? You say something about Jesus here, and you say he died for me. And Okay, here's the deal. You and me had our audacity to think we can be our own God. We can't. We deserve death. God should have and could have destroyed you and me. But instead of, he didn't do that. He was merciful, and he sent Jesus, the only, only begotten son of God, to die on the cross. Why? Because there had to be payment for sin. Blood had to be shed. It's going to either be yours or it's going to be the Savior Jesus. And what he did was he sent Jesus as a love offering, saying, I want to show you how much I love my creation. I want to give you an opportunity to become my friend. And he offers Christ on the hill of Golgotha, right? And he crucifies and murders his, he, his son gets murdered by us, sinners, messed up people. And then he validates his reign by rising from the dead, saying, hey, 
You know, we just talked about it. It's only on God's terms. Here's God's terms. No one comes to me but by the Son. He's the only payment for sin. So what do I do, Eric? Well, believe. God tells us, man, he wants us to repent, to recognize our evil, to experience God's forgiveness and believe that Jesus, my hope, my trust is in the Savior Christ. And God says, there's no hoops. There's no hoops to jump through. But man, God says he, he, he welcomes you, he saves you, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and then he begins that work and perfects it to the day of redemption. That's the beauty, is that you experience grace. You experience a merited favor, and that is to be an adopted son or daughter. We pray that no one would leave this room just being religious or being apathetic or, or man, even being demonic in the sense of, I don't, God, forget God. My prayer is that you would see, I need a Savior, and that you will be born again. If you have more questions, come talk to me. Come talk to our elders. But, man, we want people to know Jesus. Um, think about it, family. There's a lot to uh, talk through, think, to think about, talk about it in Matt groups. Again, we want you to respond uh, through discipleship. We're going to do a couple things right now. We're going to do a time of tithe and offering and then a time of communion in response to uh, what we talked about as we proclaim God's word.